When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Sports betting season is in full force. You need a sportsbook with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com. They have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 800-69-BETUS. That is 800-MY-BETUS. And you will receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using the bonus code Five. That's the word five. F I V E. They also have re-up and referral bonuses as well. Follow my lead and open an account with Bet US. You bet, you win, you get paid. Bet US. Let me tell you about Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy is the best and easiest way to play fantasy football this season. Just draft. No need to worry about waivers, lineups, or injuries. Underdog Fantasy handles it all for you. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft a season-long best ball team, and that's it. No in-season management. You can even bring over your home league over to underdogfantasy.com. You get $25 upon sign-up so you can take a free shot at a million-dollar grand prize for their fantasy football tournament. Again, you get $25 free in bonus cash when you use the code 5RSN to sign up. It has never been easier to take a shot at a million-dollar prize in their Best Ball Mania tournament. Go to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or Google Play Store, use the promo code 5RSN, and get $25 in bonus cash. Sign up today. You Break Wheel Fix is a wheel repair and remanufacturing company with over 20 years of experience. They specialize in complete wheel repair, repairing wheels from curb rash, bends, and cracks. They also specialize in refinishing from polishing, machining, and custom colors that will suit your car's needs. Lastly, U-Brake Wheel Fix offers a full array of factory and custom wheel and tire applications. Contact them at 305-748-0112. That's 305-748-0112 or at U-Brake Wheel Fix on all social platforms. This show is brought to you by Lewis Peters State Farm, agency representing the number one auto and home insurer in the United States for more than 60 years combined experience in the insurance industry. Local agents that understand South Florida's unique market, you have access to them 24-7, walk in, call in, click in through lewispeters.com. You can find them online on social media at Peters, or you can call at 305-275-5585. Remember, lewispeters.com. Welcome to Three Yards Per Caddy, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another edition of Three Yards Per Caddy. I'm Alfredo Arteaga. Simon Clancy is here with me. Chris Kaufman is here with me. You know what we're talking about. But as always, we are brought to you by Manscaped. Use promo code 5RSN and get 20% off your entire order. Now, Simon had instructed me. I always go to him first because I always want to get his uh, his input or his analysis to start the show. I just assume just... you go to him first because he's in a different time zone. Or just more handsome. <laughs> I don't know. He seems to settle us in a little bit better than... We do, but he's asked me to for him to go second today. Oh, no, no, I can go first. I mean, I, I can get this shit out of the way. More <laughs> than my point was that 
it's going to be slightly longer than normal and therefore I didn't want you two boys to be bored or feel like I was, you know, hogging the airwaves or whatever. I mean, I, you know, I, I think, uh, I think just to give the listeners what they want and what they deserve, you know, maybe, maybe we should just lead in with, uh, with, with this. What do you think, Simon? I mean, I'm happy to give the listeners what they deserve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You deserve me, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Simon, cool. let them have it. I mean, look, I've been working on this for, for a while. And normally, I, we, you know, we all come with a little conjecture and opinion. And I've kind of come with a little bit of fact as well. I've been working on it for a while. I, I don't know what about you, but I, I'm furious that it came to this, right? Yesterday was about as egregious as a fan as it gets. And, you know, we're all of an age. I've had 37 years of this as a fan. And there's been some dog shit that I've had to endure, that we've had to endure along the way. And yesterday was about as bad as it got because of the situation that we find ourselves in. You know, bad coaches, bad players, bad runs, bad this, bad that, bad team, that's fine. But you get two, three years ago, you get to a point where you think things might finally be changing. Yeah, we draft the quarterback that we all want and we think things are going to change. And actually, the most disappointing thing about yesterday was the fact that nothing has changed nothing has changed and in fact as i will explore it's probably got worse and look i want to make it clear that i gained zero pleasure in this happening despite what people think and i said oh i th- you know i thought this would happen before the season and for those people who kept messaging me yesterday and today on twitter saying hey dickhead you said they go 10 and 7 that is absolutely true i did say that but it came with two very large caveats one is that i thought this team would miss the playoffs that they weren't as good as as some people thought they might be. I don't mean you two. I just generally think some people might have thought that they might be. And two, five of those 10 wins, I thought would come in pretty much layups against the Jaguars, the Texans, the Giants, and twice against the Jets. I'm now not certain we'd win two of those five based on what happened yesterday, frankly. But look, we can pontificate and whatever. These things I know are true with regards blame and where it should be apportioned. And I kind of felt like I wanted to take them one at a time and kind of give the listeners a bit of an idea of where I'm coming from in terms of this and that that sort of bigger picture. So I'm going to start with the owner, Stephen Ross. And we've discussed over the last few weeks, look, he has a right to want more and better. He's 81, 83 years old. He has plowed unending cash into the team, into players, into coaches, into the stadium, into the facility. So therefore... He earns the right for better and he's not getting it. But he is also responsible for this shit. He is responsible for overseeing mediocrity and not doing anything about it. And he does it over and over and over and over again. I looked up this afternoon, okay? He has a net worth of $8.3 billion. Okay, $8.3 billion, not million, billion. According to Forbes magazine, I looked this up as well, he's the 369th richest man on the planet, okay? He got to that figure not by um, old money, not by investing it from his parents. He got to it by hard work. First as as a successful tax attorney, then as a very successful housing developer, and then as a hugely successful property developer. He owns an awful lot of Manhattan. In his business, he is incredibly successful he is a man who makes few mistakes so I ask you this and it is a rhetorical question why is he so married to mediocrity with his plaything because he wouldn't do this with his construction business he wouldn't do this with Hamden Yards or whatever it's called in Manhattan so why does he do it with the Dolphins okay he bought the team in 2008 so what 13 years ago in that time okay he has won so since 2008 he has won 99 games and he has lost 203 as the owner he's not even batting 50 percent as the owner of the dolphins and i will repeat that again since 2008 he's won 99 games and he's lost 203 and i heard one of you take an intake of breath at that because that's a fucking staggering number okay he has been to the playoffs twice in that time and he has lost those playoff games by an average of 28 points to nine We know full well he kept mediocrity around too long in terms of coaching Sperano, Philbin, Gase, and he will do it again this time. And we all know it's true. We all know that it's the case. So Stephen Ross owns some of this, all right? He has a right for better, but he also owns some of it because he's prepared to parlay 
bad performances and mediocrity because he's too scared or he's too ineffective to try and make a difference and sack people, all right? Number two, Chris Greer. He owns a bigger percentage of this than anybody, okay? To call him simply mediocre would be disingenuous and frankly unfair to the word mediocrity and to people that are mediocre in life. And there's enough of us out there, frankly, okay? (laughs) Much like Stephen Ross, here are some Greer facts, all right? He has been part of this team for 21 years, okay? 21 years, he joined Excuse me, he joined in 2000 from the Patriots. Admittedly, he has not been in a position of power for all that time, but he was a scout, okay, with the Dolphins. And let's face it, our drafting has been shit for decades, okay? But let's break this down, because if you thought Stephen Ross was bad, in his time in Miami, Chris Greer's time in Miami, he has won 151 games, okay? He has lost 272. That is 121 more losses than wins during the time with which Chris Greer has been in Miami. At what point do you realize that a guy who's been part of 272 defeats in 21 years is part of a problem that will never be fixed? At, at what point? At what point do you put your hands up and say, 272 defeats is probably too many for this guy to have been involved in. Why don't we do something about it? Okay. But nobody does. Okay. Since he joined the team, and again, I make the point, and if he's listening, I make the point, Chris, that you were not in charge for all of this time, but you are part of the organization that is responsible for the decisions I'm about to talk about, okay? Since he joined the team, the Dolphins have drafted 162 players, all right? 162 players in that time. How many bona fide NFL superstars are there in all of those years? Okay, how many? Realistically, I count two, Xavier Howard and Minka Fitzpatrick. And really, they play positions where there are not bona fide superstars. Okay, Dion Sanders. I wouldn't put, I wouldn't put Minka Fitzpatrick. I put Larry Tunsil in there ahead of Minka. Well, it's semantics and, and I'll get mm. on to it. The six best picks in that period of time are Xavier Howard, Jason Sanders, Larry Tunsil, Jake Long, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Jarvis Landry, okay? He's traded three of them, and he lucked into one of those because of a bong video, all right? So a cornerback, a kicker, two left tackles, a slot wide receiver, and a safety, okay? He tore down this team to rebuild it, trading away one of those six players or one of those two superstars, if you believe Alpha rather than me, and that's absolutely fine, you can do that. But he tore down this team to rebuild it, and it's arguably, is it really, realistically, any better than it was before the rebuild? The way he has treated this offensive line, I know this is something that Chris and I uh, are, have harped on about. Well, all of us have harped on about for years, but it is gross mismanagement of the highest order. Okay. Consider this. Okay. Since he's been with the team, the Dolphins have drafted 32 offensive linemen Todd Wade, Brandon Whiney, Sean Draper, Seth McKinney, Tim Provost, Taylor Whitley, Wade Smith, Tony Pape. Rex Hadno, Vernon Carey, Anthony Alabi, Joe Toledo, Drew Mormina. There's some fucking superstars in here, boys. Samson Satelli, Donald Thomas, Sean Murphy, Jake Long, Andrew Gardner, John, John Jerry, Mike Pouncey, Jonathan Martin, Dallas Thomas, Billy Turner, Juwan James, Jamil Douglas, Laramie Tunsil, Policeman Isaac Asiata, Michael Dieter, Isaiah Prince, Robert Hunt, Solomon Kindley, and Austin Jackson. Okay, 32 offensive linemen. If you were to find a, a starting offensive line, from that group, you would probably go Long, Carey, Pouncey, James, Tunsil, or Tunsil, Carey, Pouncey, James, Long, whichever. How many others would you actually put on a roster? If we were looking for nine offensive linemen from that group of 32, how many of those would you actually put on a roster? Because probably Billy Turner, the man who was run out of town, is probably the next man up, right? John Jerry might make it. Robert Hunt might make it. Who else is making that? Todd Wade might make it. Who else would you keep on a roster? I mean, let's take the Ravens over that same period of time. Right? Casey Rayback, Jason Brown. I mean, this is just the, the good players they drafted. Casey Rayback, Jason Brown, Chris Chester, Marshall Yander, Hall of Famer, Kalichi Assembly, Ryan Jensen, Jensen, won a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers, Ricky Wagner, John Urschel was a really good player until he went to become a doctor, Bradley Bozeman, Ronnie Stanley, Orlando Brown, now starting left tackle of the Kansas City Chiefs. What about the Green Bay Packers? Chad Clifton, Mark Tauscher. Again, these are just the best players. Scott Wells, Darren College, Josh Shitton, Breno Giacomini, TJ Lang, 
Marshall Newhouse, Brian Balaga, JC Tretter, David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, Elton Jenkins, John Runyon. Okay, that's just the good players. That's just the really good players they've drafted. I left the good ones out. All right. The Packers have started Josh Nyman at left tackle the last two games against Nick Bosa two weeks ago, and then yesterday against TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, and Melvin Ingram. He is an undrafted free agent from Virginia Tech. He is our fourth string left tackle, okay? Zero sacks and zero pressures against Nick Bosa. Zero sacks and three pressures against the Steelers. The Packers are 2-0 and and have scored 57 points against the 49ers and Steelers in the last two weeks with an offensive line that consists of Josh Nyman, John Runyon, Josh Myers, Royce Newman, and Billy Turner. That is a fucking joke when you compare what the Miami Dolphins have invested and what the, the return from those picks are. Ultimately, Chris Greer drafted a quarterback fifth overall, and he spent more time scouting him than he actually gave him time to play. And let's be honest, okay, Tua is part of the problem here because he's not lived up to the expectations that we hoped yet. But it also can't have been easy when your GM undermines you less than a season into your career by repeatedly trying to trade for a guy who could go to prison. Okay. So ultimately the message is we would rather have a possible sex offender than you at quarterback. Good luck to her. All right. And do not even get me fucking started on free agency and the waste of money. All right. Three, Brian Flores. To me, he gets something of a hall pass because he exceeds expectations since he's been here. But he is stubborn, he is hard-headed, and that is a bad combination for me. You might like it, listeners might like it, I don't like it. In the first two seasons where we're the underdogs, okay, he injected an underdog spirit into this team, okay? Where has that gone? I don't see it anymore. Where are the trick plays? Where are the risks? Where is the energy? He is now coaching not to lose, Whereas in the past, all he did was coach to win. He has assumed twice two long field goal attempts by the best field goal kicker. And I don't, people mess with me going, oh, he hit the post against the Raiders. He's not very good. He's a fucking all pro kicker. All right. He bounced one off the post from 50 odd yards. All right. He is an absolute superstar in terms of kickers in this league. Yeah, he missed against the Raiders. Big fucking wow. Okay. He is a great kicker. Michael Pallardi bailed Brian Flores out yesterday by coffin cornering a kick, passing up a 55-yard field goal. But he has hamstrung himself with bad assistant coaching decisions, bad assistant coaches, and when you have two offensive coordinators, as we have discussed ad infinitum on this show, you have none. And now they have three fucking offensive coordinators because Charlie Fry is now apparently calling the plays. None of them are working. None of them are working. Defensively, we have a massive strength and a massive weakness. So teams attack the weakness because we, we can't stop it. We can't stop the run. Schematically, we're bad. Our run fits are worse. I mean, looking at the numbers of players that played yesterday, against Las Vegas, Brandon Jones played arguably, in my opinion, his best game of his career. He had two sacks of Derek Carr. Two sacks of Derek Carr. He played two snaps yesterday. Two snaps. So he had two sacks the week before. Fuck it. He plays two snaps on Sunday on, on defense. I mean, that's to me, that is ludicrous. That is ludicrous. And then fourth part of this wheel, collapsing motor vehicle that is the Miami Dolphins clown car, is the players. I don't know how much blame they hold because I don't know if it's mediocre drafting of mediocre talent or if it's good talent and bad coaching or a little of both. But I will say this, they are rarely placed in a position to succeed is one, but they rarely raise their heads above the parapet to try and do something that does succeed. Yesterday was embarrassing. It was a microcosm of the last 20, 25 years in four quarters. And and I don't know why we're shocked or angry or embarrassed anymore, but I'm all three of them. And maybe it's because we care too much because we're fans. But this to me is a moribund franchise that is going nowhere because of the decisions that have been made by the four people or the four areas that I've identified. Owner, general manager, coach, players. And yesterday was about as bad as it got. And I was fucking embarrassed by what we put out on the field. And the bottom of bottom lines is that it was the day to celebrate one of the greatest head coaches of all time. And essentially, we took an absolutely massive shite on the memory of Don Shula. Uh, and that was probably more embarrassing than anything else. So that's me done. I'm going to sit back and let you boys 
and I appreciate you giving me the chance to 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 tell that story. But I mean, I'm fucking lost. I mean, I say I'm lost for words. I've just been talking for twenty minutes, but I am lost. I am lost for words. <laughs> well, I got a I got a little bit more on that. Uh, yes, uh, yesterday they had the largest contingent of Dolphin alumni in the history of the franchise for Shula Day. Okay. So imagine being Stephen Ross, inviting all of these players. They had 10 players from the undefeated team. They had 30-some-odd players from the 80s and 90s. All our favorites were there. Jason Taylor was there. You, you name it. O.J. McDuffie. Even Troy Vincent was there. <laughs> okay? And you put out that piece of shit performance on the field. I got another stat for you. You brought up the, the Stephen Ross uh, mediocrity stat, which is – which is wonderful, by the way. He has three winning seasons since he got here in 2008, and their average record since 2008 is seven and nine. If that's if that's, might as well just hire uh, what was his name, Jeff Fisher. Hire three, Jeff Fisher. I, I, I'm pretty sure. Okay, and I, I don't say this lightly because I don't imagine being a general manager of the NFL is an easy job. And you know, we talk about. I I reckon that we could hit on more players than Chris Greer has hit on in 20 years. Certainly more offensive linemen. I'm pretty sure about that, okay? And I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not trying to be, you know, because the internet and every, the world is full of massive assholes, and we probably are for saying that. But fucking hell. I mean, thir- look at them. There are some of those names. 32 linemen. I mean, and, and these aren't like late-round guys either. Do you know what I mean? A lot of these guys were in the first three or four rounds. I'm fucking sure we could do a better job. Like, who, who in, why in Green Bay are they able to find Clifton, Lang, Sitton, Tretter, Bakhtiari, Lindsley, Jenkins, Bulaga, College? Why are they able to do that? And we're able to find fucking Sean Murphy, Andrew Gardner, Tim Provost, Taylor Whitley, fucking Isaac Asiata. Why? Cop, by the way, <laughs> you what? He's a cop. He is a cop, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, nobody in Green Bay is drafting Drew Mormino, you know? But they managed to turn Bakhtiari into the, arguably, the, along with Terrell Armstead and Tyron Smith, the best left tackle. They managed to turn Corey Lindsay into the best centre in the league. They managed to turn Elton Jenkins into the best, you know, young offensive lineman in the league who's a stud at left guard, stud at left tackle. You know, Darren College played 179 games. Josh Sitton, all-pro, you know, TJ Lamb, multiple pro bowler. Chad Clifton was a great player. How do they manage to do it? And we cannot find an acorn in a fucking acorn field, you know? Yeah, it's 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 odd that you bring that up because, uh, you know, they were trying to honor Don Shula yesterday. And that's one thing Don Shula always did. He found, he, he threw a rock and he found a, a Pro Bowl left tackle, a Pro Bowl right tackle, or Pro Bowl center. That's something he was always good at. For, some, for whatever reason, he also had really good, you know, really good coaching staff, John Sandusky for years worked with that offensive line and always managed to get the best players. He also drafted in one year, he drafted in the first round, Richmond Webb Richmond and, Webb round, and, Keith Sims, Sims. Yeah. and both of them became pro bowlers. <laughs> okay. I mean, and he the started one... them. And, and when I hear people say, Oh, but you start a bunch of rookies. Well, guess what? They had a super bowl ready team. that had a pro bowl quarterback in Dan Marino. And they started from day one at left tackle and at left guard, Richmond Webb and Keith Sims. And there were no problems thereafter they both made the pro bowl they're both really good players when you get good players you can play them and they're not a disaster when was the last time we had a rookie of the year or a rookie of the year candidate or a rookie pro bowler because i i never feel like we as the dolphins ever 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 put a rookie in a position to do a really good job or put a rookie in a position where a rookie ends up playing really well or that do you know what i mean yet you look around the league and you think oh look at he's playing brilliantly or he's playing brilliantly or like we've had the discussion on OnlyFans, yeah, about Justin Herbert and uh, and the quarterback that he's developing into, and people have rightly said, and I probably agree with them, that Justin Herbert probably would not be in as uh, as advanced in Miami as he is in in Los Angeles, just because that's the way that we are. Do you know what I mean? It feels like we 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 got the reins on the whole fucking time. Do you know what I mean? Every mm. single time we turn out to play, it feels like we've got the reins on, or, or or do we have that? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're just drafting shit players. I don't know. Would Justin yeah. Herbert be the same Justin Herbert in Miami? I don't know. Uh, well, we, well, we will never know. <laughs> no, we will never know. He, um, he'll, he'll be a charger for the next 
30 Chris, years. What do, you, what do you think? We do, we do, we do draft. I mean, we haven't drafted great players. I mean, you, you basically outlined it. I, I did some, some research today because it really felt like this is one of the few times that a Dolphin team has underachieved under Flores. And I looked it up. He's lost two games as a favorite since he's been here in 36 games. Last year against Denver, yesterday against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, your thoughts, Chris? And that makes sense. Uh, and I apologize, listeners. Um, I had to drop off real quick. I was uh, crying so heavily in the middle of uh, Simon's rant that um, that I just couldn't take it anymore. So um, I think that uh, this game was probably the one that sticks out the most as far as disappointment. And um, and it does make me question whether they can get this turned around. It makes me uh, have a, a general lack of faith in their ability to um, their ability to identify problems and actually tackle, you know, fixing them. Actually, actually identify them correctly and then go through the process of trying to fix them. What we have seen. And I know people like in our, our OnlyFans and have been talking about because I've gone on some rants on the team lately. Um, I will leave that to Simon this time because I'm I'm just I'm still I'm still in emotional shambles uh, after <laughs> after what Simon said. Um, but it's already been said. You know, I, I could already I've already said what I could say about this because we've been identifying these problems for weeks now we've been talking about them we've been talking about what's going on and what they're lacking and what they're not doing um and every time we think hey okay it's become obvious now now they know they have to go do this thing they show up on sunday and they don't do this thing (laughs) so i mean so it's so they just keep you know ramming their head into the wall and then i listen to brian flores this uh today in his uh, press conference, talk about how you know no drastic changes need to be made. Um, you know they're 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 coming in with good game plans. They're just not executing. Um, you know there's there's a penalty here or a dropped pass there, and it's just so disappointing. And it makes me question whether they can really get this turned around in time to save the season. Um, and I I think probably at this point you'd have to forecast no that that's not that's not going to happen um and i think that uh i think that it's their own fault i mean yes they they've got some player problems simon went on about the offensive line alfie went on about the offensive line and we've we've been on this for three years i mean we have basically disagreed with almost you know it's probably over 90 percent of the things that they've done on the offensive line over the last three years um you know, going back to Austin Jackson, you know, and, and several of the free agent signings. Uh, hey, I even, like DJ Fluker. It, well, yeah, but, but yeah, you like DJ Fluker, and and he's, and he's not, he's not with the team. He's not with the team, is he? Um, you know, it, it, and it's on both sides of the offensive line, um, the offensive line decisions too, because it's 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 guys that they pay too much money to acquire, uh, like Eric Flowers. Um, that was a mistake. And yet, uh, somehow they also made a mistake on the back end too, because by, by paying more money, even more money to get rid of him. And now he's, he's actually, you know, been competent in Washington and, and we have a stunning lack of competence in Miami. So if you, if you believe in analytics, Eric flowers is headed to the fucking pro bowl. Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if I believe that quite frankly, but, um, but yeah, clearly, clearly. Clearly, he's clearly he's doing all right at the very least, maybe even better than all right. Um, and and Miami, we're not getting that here. Uh, so somehow we make the bad decision on the in and on the out, uh, and that's that is a that is a special a special quality to have about your decision making. Um, and so I, I think that when you're looking at the offensive line specifically, and it's probably the position I would accuse this the most of. Uh, out of all the positions. And I realized that uh, as Simon alluded to, they've been making poor mistakes, uh, bad mistakes all over the place, but in the offensive line, especially there is a consistent pattern of, of poor decision-making that speaks to a lack of general competence in, in making decisions about the offensive line. I mean, that's, that's just 
look at the pattern. I'm sorry if, if anybody gets offended by that, but that, you know, anybody in the dolphins, I, I doubt they're listening. I don't, you know, they don't care about us, but um, if, oh, if anybody gets offended, if anybody gets offended by that, I'm sorry, but you, the record is what it is. There is a general lack of competence in their decision-making uh, along the offensive line over the last co- couple of years, they acquire guys that aren't worth it. Uh, they get rid of guys that could have helped. Um, just all the way around there, uh, they have the wrong priorities when they're trying to figure out what kinds of offensive linemen to acquire. And I think that um, in this league, the way it goes is, you know, everybody says it's a crapshoot, and to some extent it is, but it's really hard to stay ahead of the pack consistently uh, as far as decision-making goes, personnel decision-making goes, because it is a rat race between 32 teams all competing fiercely for the same pool of talent. And they're all working harder and harder every year. They're all working harder and smarter every year to try and get the same, to get more of their share of the, uh, the same talent pool. And so it is really hard to get ahead and stay ahead in this league. However, just like any race it is really easy to fall behind. And if you are, if you have a general lack of competence in any area, then you will find that you are not hitting even your share of, of picks. You know, it's not a crapshoot. It's, you will find that the bad players find you if you have, um, if you have, if you're not keeping up with the rest of the league. And I think that Miami is not keeping up with the rest of the league. Uh, particularly as it pertains to the offensive line. And we're seeing that play out right now. Even so, even so, I do have to say this. The offensive line, we know they're not good. And we, we, we know and accept this. That's not the reason that they're this bad on offense. It really is not. The, the, the best reason that they're this bad on offense is what I've been calling elective mediocrity. It's because they don't, know what they're actually good at. They don't know what their personnel has been built to do. There is a fundamental mismatch between how the personnel was built in the off season and how the coaches are going about using it in the season. And that is unconscionable because supposedly Chris Greer and Brian Flores are supposed to be tied at a hip and, and really know each other and, and agree with each other and talk with each other all the time. Uh, and yet they went out and acquired all this speed and all this pat and they put together all this pass catching talent. And then they came out like they're the, you know, they're the fucking Alabama crimson tide as far as, as far as running the football go- and, uh, and short passing and, um, and building a foundation that's built upon being physical and, uh, and running the, running the football. Well, if they were going to do that, then they absolutely should have taken Penn soul at the top of the draft. And then they should have followed up by, I mean, I don't have a problem with getting Jalen Phillips. I think that's going to be a valuable pick or in my preference was Jason OA or, or he has a different name now, but um, was, he's doing phenomenally by the way. Um, but you make sure you get Javante Williams, right. Uh, and you follow up and, and make sure you get him and you get Penn Asol. If that's the identity you wanted to build, then that this is what you needed to do. But no, they didn't do that. They got the Jalen Waddle. They got Will Fuller. They got, you know, they, they have Mike Gesicki and Devontae Parker, and they, they have these pass-catching weapons, um, kept getting these guys around. And then they came out, and they decided to run this incredibly myo- myopic offense and, uh, and, and run the football and, and focus on running the football so much. And it's, it's really baffling. It is so baffling, and it is, it is their choice because when they don't have a choice, when they don't have a choice because the scoreboard has done, has given them no choice and they have to open it up. They have to go into shotgun. They have to go go four and five wide uh, and just drop back into rhythm and throw the football up the field. They have to do this because they have no choice anymore. The weirdest thing happens. They actually move the ball and score points. It's, it's, it's absolutely mind mind boggling, but it's true. Okay, it, it's happened in multiple games. When they get into this no choice situation, they actually have to throw the ball up the field, spread it out, and and just like, hey, we're not fucking around with RPOs and stuff like that anymore. We're just we're just passing the football, and we're relying on our quarterback to get himself out of out of pass rush trouble. And you know, God help us. Yes, there might be a sack uh, or something like that. Um, 
when they do that, they score points, they move the ball, they score points and it's consistent and they haven't taken any lesson off of that at all. They haven't anticipated that, that at all. And, uh, and, and if it were all about just the offensive line, and this is why I hate, you know, crying about the offensive line so much, because um, if it were all about the offensive line, this is what a defense wants. They want to get you into that situation. They want to get you into that situation where you got no choice, where you're predictable where they can pin their ears back. I asked Brian Flores. He's a defensive coordinator for, for, crying, for Christ's sakes. He, he knows this. He wants the, uh, the opposing offense in exactly that situation so that his guys can pin their ears back, go after them, uh, cause turnovers, cause chaos in the pocket. Um, he knows this better. You should know this better than anybody. And yet when the Dolphins get in that situation, the offensive line isn't preventing success, certainly. I mean, because they're having the success. And, and so you, you have to wonder, you have to wonder what these guys are thinking, what they're, I mean, what, what is their process? And Brian Flores talked about it and recently in his, uh, in his press conference, he said that they had a methodical, they have a methodical approach um, at the, you know, toward the beginning of the games or uh, toward most of the games until they, until they really get up against it on the clock and the scoreboard. And that methodical approach is an absolute mistake. It is an absolute mistake. They're, they're, they're trying to play 11 man mistake-free p- football and they don't have very good pieces in place to do that. Uh, and, and so the, the result is, uh, the result is predictable. And uh, they're trying to put together 15 play drives with guys like Austin Jackson out there and, you know, rookies like Liam, uh, Liam Eichenberg that are, um, that are going to screw up sometimes. I mean, they just are. Uh, and, and I think that, um, I think that that's a mistake. And so they just keep making that mistake over and over again. And, and th- they cannot, they have to own this. They have to own this as their own choice. And it's just, it's just unconscionable to me. Um, and that's why I'm not sure they can actually get this turned around because I think they might be too stubborn to see the truth and to actually, and actually do something about it. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I was, I was the most bullish of, of any of us before the season. I thought they'd be 12 and five. I thought they would make the playoffs. I thought they'd even win their first playoff win since 2001, since the Clinton administration. Um, and, uh, and I think that, uh, that is not going to be the case anymore. And, and it's just because I've lost the faith in the coaching staff. And so, um, you know, it's instead of a rant here, this is, this feels more like a eulogy for me. And, uh, and that's, that's the truth. So now I will say this, they have another serious problem and that's whoever's managing personnel and personnel groupings. John Jenkins had more snaps than Adam Butler, than Christian Wilkins, than Zach Sealer, than Emmanuel Ogba, than Jalen Phillips. John Jenkins played 49 snaps. That's 69% of the snaps on the field yesterday. Why? There is no reason to do it. Here's another thing. They want to keep, they, they want to keep playing these eagle fronts. You've, you've shown already since week one. Okay, you have the personnel to do it. All right, but Raekwon Davis is gone. He's he was on IR. You can't use him anymore. So you're going to continue to try to play these eagle fronts, and they're just going to double team John Jenkins and put him on the ground, or even worse, move him out of the box, move him two three yards, and now you know they got lead blocks right onto our linebackers, which are not they're not heavy guys. Land Roberts is physical, but he's not a heavy guy. So now it's an avalanche on every single every single lead that anybody runs at us. It's going to gain four or five yards. Every time they catch us on the stupid eagle front, it's always a big gain. And each, every single one of these gains, uh, the Damon Harris run, the um, it wasn't Josh Jacobs, it was the, the, Peyton, the Peyton Barber run and the Jonathan Taylor run from yesterday. Every single one of these runs that have gone for more than 30 yards has been against that same fucking eagle front. And that's something you never saw last year. That's part of that stubbornness. Their, their snap counts are way out of whack. Now, I want to get to something else. How much is this is just on the quarterback who's absolutely awful? He's just bad. Jacoby Brissett is just bad. Do they win the Raider game or do they win the, the Colt game if they have Tua Tungvaloa out there, Simon? Um, I think they win the Colt game, the, the Raiders game, you know, potentially. Um, what I feel disappointed about is that, you know, and look, it's his own fault in a way. Yeah, you have to be healthy, you know, being yes. injured. Mm. You know, that's important. That's, 
It is. It is. Yeah, like, but, and, and let me say another thing. Uh, they signed Austin Reader today. That's a really nice. Uh, that's a nice uh, signing. Uh, I was really, really bullish on Michael uh, Michael Dieter. I'm not anymore. If you're a center or you're a quarterback, you have to be available. And it's looking like Michael Dieter is going to be out for at least three weeks and maybe beyond that. So that's another evaluation that you know we have to. Now we have to go look for a center. We didn't get lucky and find and find one this this season. They need a center but, now. But look at us, yeah. We are celebrating the fact that we've just signed a guy who was on the New Orleans Saints practice squad. That's what he was good enough for. And we're like, what? It's like we fucking signed, you know, Anthony Munoz the way that, do you know what I mean? I, I'm being because it's, it, because it's one of the few offensive line decisions that we don't just like, yeah, like strongly disagree with. For sure. But like, <laughs> you know, what an indictment that we're banging on about Austin Reiter as if we've just signed a Hall of Fame tackle. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, that's good um, numbers, to, man. To, to your, yeah, I mean, to your question, um, I feel disappointed. I feel sad because I think the narrative that is against Tua um, probably would have turned around a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Um, I think he would have beaten the Colts yesterday. I think the offense just runs differently. Certainly the passing game, the running game runs differently. But really, and truthfully, apart from that first drive against the Patriots and then sporadically in that game against the Patriots, where has like the read option gone? Where is the, you know, those, mm. those RPOs gone? What, you know, Jacoby Brissett is not that different a quarterback. It actually plays to Brissett's, like, does anybody want Jacoby Brissett running for his life in the backfield, getting hit, throwing wobblers, wobbly ducks down? That's not, that isn't how the offense should be. Who in that team, who in that offense, who in that offensive coaching room thinks, yeah, let's just put Jacoby back 25 times and just let, us sling him around, let him sling it around the park. I mean, really? Have you seen Jacoby Brissett in his career? Surely you would just kind of, you know, the RPO game would, would probably work for him. I, I just don't understand why they fundamentally changed the, the parameters of the offense. So You know what's funny? You know what's funny? The Dolphins stole uh, uh, the scissors route combination that the, the Chiefs run with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And they've attempted it several times with Jalen Waddle and Mike Gusecki, which is a poor man's version, naturally. Okay. Like this is, you know, this is a Walmart version of what the Chiefs have. You know, they pop it every fucking time. They popped it three times. And in this last one, the beat guys got a hold of some all 22 tape and started showing Jalen Waddle running basically nude through the, the secondary, wide open, which it would have been, he could have punted it to him and it would have been a, a walk in touchdown. Of course, Jacoby Brissett has all the time in the world on that play, and he checks it down for three yards to Malcolm Brown. But I've also saw it. I also saw him miss Mike Gesicki, who was running wide open. Mm -hmm. There was also a play in the yeah, Chris, you're right. That was the fumble play. But there was another play where he threw it over Parker's head out of bounds. But you look at the sort of the behind the the offensive line camera. Not only does he have Gesicki running wide open on a crosser, but Parker is literally almost jumping up and down for the ball because he's uncovered. And then Brissett finally spots him, throws it to him, and it's like six yards over his head or whatever. And you just think, what the fuck? Like, where was Miles Gaskin and, and, Salvin, uh, and Salvin Ahmed yesterday? Not playing. Ahmed played five snaps, and like, uh, this and uh, Gaskin played 12 snaps. <laughs> like, I mean, it just makes no sense. Like, last week they said, oh, Malcolm Brown started because they wanted to get him in the, uh, they wanted to get him in the action more. Right, okay, that was their line, pretty much verbatim. He had seven touches, all right? Two more touches than the week before when they weren't getting him in the game. So the fact they tried to get him in the game was they gave him two extra touches. Well done, well done, brilliant. Like, well done, lads. Tony Pollard gets more touches as a backup running back for the Cowboys than all of our running backs put together. And I know yes. there's an issue, the offensive line, the run, you know, but come on. I mean... We are so inconsistent. We do not stick to what like Dan Olofsky tweeted today, and I'll find the tweet. Dan Olofsky tweeted today about how, um, where is it? He said something about how the Dolphins coaches. Yeah, he has no rhyme or rhythm to their, their, their. Yeah, someone has to tell me what the Miami Dolphins identity is on offense and their plan. Who is calling the plays? There is absolutely no rhyme or reason to the things they do. It looks like they're guessing plays out of a hat and calling anything to see if it may that work. That might work. <laughs> It would probably <laughs> fucking work better than it does. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Send that into Flores. I think that might be a good idea. Well, you know, what, you know what pissed me off? That game started, and, and I said to myself, finally, they're doing this. 
Waddle looked like a world beater on the first three snaps of the game. But they never threw you know how many again. You know how many targets he got the rest of the game? He had like four, he had four catches for like 60 yards or something, and they never threw to him again. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. They never, they never threw to him again. I mean, it's astonishing. Yeah. I think this 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 methodical approach they have so so they talk about they had you know they had plays right they had shot plays that um that didn't you know that got checked down and uh, shit Flores, plays that yeah, shit plays. and Flores Flores says they got checked down not not checked out of it's not as if um they were you know audible or anything like that he says they got checked down and maybe maybe they shouldn't have been checked down but that's I think that's part of the problem, though, is because is it, it speaks to this methodical approach where that that builds as if, you know, everything kind of has to go right to, you know, build this on this and then do this and then do that and then take your shot because you've done these these things. And, and it relies on all this execution. And we have to understand that when you have a, a, an Austin Jackson at left tackle and you have a Liam Eikenberg rookie at right tackle, and he was a college left tackle, you know, so he's obviously playing a new position. Um, and then your your other guys, you know, is a, a Greg Manx as a backup. Oh, there's news on that front, by the way. Hate to interrupt you, but there's news on that front as well. Uh, Barry Jackson actually, you know, great question by Barry Jackson. He asked Liam Eikenberg, hey, you you know, you were a pretty good left tackle in college. Why, don't you want to play left tackle here? And he says, "No, I'm a better right tackle here in the pros." So they've actually brainwashed him. Well, into, but what into he comp- said, what he actually said is, you know, Austin Jackson's better at left tackle than sure than, <laughs> uh, than than I than I can I can be. So I think yeah, uh-huh. I honestly think Liam Eikenberg was doing the you know sort of the the teammate um, yeah, the teammate to a tongue of Iowa thing. Um, but yeah, so so when you have these kinds of pieces, you have a rookie Jalen Waddle. He's going to fuck up some of the times. I mean, let's be honest. That's a yeah. rookie rookies are rookies um he's been a pleasant the, look he's been a pleasant surprise not even sure. a pleasant surprise well, he's not, he's not uh, surprising. as advertised he's advertised but but yeah. i mean you know he does he does screw up some of the time liam eichenberg mm-hmm. is going to screw up some of the time robert hunt is, is you know he's a good right guard prospect and, and you know development guy but um you know, there's a little screw up in his game. Like he'll have, he'll have a mess up every now and then. And, and then you have Michael Dieter who hadn't played center since Wisconsin in 2016. So obviously there's going to be some sort of, some sort of learning curve there. And then the guy that just replaced him as a second string in this game, Greg Manx hadn't played a center game at center since 2017. So, I mean, there's going to be, there's, there's going to be some screw ups. You're not going to get perfect execution. So if you're executing these game plans and these, um, you know, these, plays these drives to do 15 play drives uh and build them very slowly and have 11 man football and everybody you can't i mean teams around the nfl guess what they have penalties too you know they have drops they -hmm. have drops they have penalties it happens it's this is football it happens and uh and it seems like in miami we have no tolerance for that why do we have no tolerance for that in miami why can we not get anything done on offense if there's any kind of screw up like that like that's the question that we have to ask. And and so I think that it has to do with this methodical approach that Brian Flores spoke about. And they have to change it. They have to change it because when they when they kind of throw caution to the wind a little bit more because they they have to, you know, and the scoreboard dictates it and they uh they start going they go, start going wide and get more spacing and they go in shotgun and and god forbid let the quarterback actually deal with deal with some pressure sometime and um, and and not get the ball out of his hands in 1.5 seconds. I mean, that's, you know, they actually get the ball up the field a little bit more, you know, and, and I think that they have to, they have to go to that earlier and establish. I mean, it goes back to that Dan or- Orlovsky tweet, like what is their identity? Well, you know what? I tell you what their identity is not going to be. Their identity is not going to be perfect execution, 11 man football, 15 play drives. And they don't have that in them. And their identity is also not going to be smash mouth. We're going to run, you know, Derrick Henry carrying the ball, you know, smashing you and uh, and mowing you down uh, all over the field. They don't have that either. If they were going to do that, they needed to draft Penny Soul and they needed to make sure they get Javante Williams or, you know, maybe Najee Harris or, you know, whatever. Um, if they were going to be that identity, like there has to be something that knocks the defense off balance. They have to do be good at something and and show it and show it actually you know show that they're good at it to to where the defense says okay this is how we have to adjust 
because this is what they're good at. And then you have sort of uh, sort of an evolution as the game, like, okay, this is how they adjust to, to what you're good at. And that got them off balance. And now we're going to do this to take advantage of their adjustment. And then they're going to adjust to that. And then we're going to do this, you know, that that's the way these games go. Um, they don't have something like that. And that's what Dan Orlovsky was really alluding to. And it's what I, what I talked about yesterday on Twitter as well. They don't have something like that, but the closest they've ever gotten this season is in those moments that are clock constrained or the scoreboard dictates that they have to attack, attack with, uh, with the passing game and uh, spread you out four or five wide and get the ball to these guys down the field and take shots, take, you know, take a chance on Devonte Parker down the field because he's got one-on-one coverage. And you know, that guy, that guy feasts on that in those situations. Uh, take a chance with uh, Mike Gasicki as he's, as he's running up into the seam, you know, take, I think that they, they get four, Forced to do that and they sh- they actually show up pretty good there um and that's the only thing that you can look at and say and especially when you look at how the team is built with all these receivers and uh and mike gasicki and and stuff like that you look at how it's built and it's like well that should be their strength that should be their foundation that should be the thing that knocks the defense off balance and then the defense has to adjust to it and try and take these things away um, but they're not really doing that. They're heading into these games with more of the methodical approach and, um, and they're paying for it. They are absolutely paying for it for three quarters of football. And, uh, and so, you know, this is, this is all, this is all self-inflicted. And so, I, I mean, that's, that's what, I mean, they don't, they may not like it, but I mean, that's, that's what they're faced with. And they're, as long as they keep with that approach, they're just going to have the same result. Yeah. And I think that it's almost, it's almost a good thing that they're losing these games with Jacoby Brissett uh, because had they squeaked out this, this Colts game now, had they won, you know, the Raiders game and the Colts game, they'd be three and one and nobody would be saying a fucking thing about the offensive line or anything. Everybody would be just dancing around the campfire thinking, you know what? The only thing that's wrong with this team is that they can't beat Buffalo. <laughs> that's, that's what everybody would be thinking. But like, let's say, you know, the more realistic scenario is that, Tua squeaks out one of these two games, and they're two and two. It would have masked all these issues that they have. Yeah, I would have. I agree. And you know what people be saying? They'd be blaming Tua. They'd be saying, oh, you know what? They're not better because the quarterback is not that good. At least mm. now they know that the quarterback is a huge upgrade for the team, for the overall team. But it's not masking the other issues. So it's it's actually laying them all bare. This, this is an expensive lesson to learn. They're gonna they're gonna walk. Tua's gonna walk back onto the field one and four. And yes. asked to save this, yes. you know, and, and it's, and it's, it's just, and, and then, and then when he can't save it, because let's face it, you are really behind. If you're walking on in the team one and four and asked and have lost four straight games that he didn't play and, and asked to save it. Um, he's not going to be able to probably. And then, uh, and then, you know, after the season is done, well, well, you know, two, two is just not a difference maker, you know? And, and mm-hmm. so, and so I think that that's it's very unfortunate, and they're setting themselves up for further failure. Um, so yeah, the, this is this is what's going to happen, though. Yeah, and you know, and what they've done, I, I think no no worse acquisition really this offseason than Jacoby Brissett. We talked about it as soon as it happened. We thought, you know what, maybe this is a guy that could come in for one or two games and you know salvage one. Well, obviously that hasn't happened. But you said you said something pressing. I thought in the in the preseason, and I I saw it all throughout camp. He was just not good. And when you when you said, "Look, when has he really been good?" I looked it up. There was a ten game stretch in 2016 where he was okay. Other than that, he's never really been a good quarterback, and that he's showing it again this year. So yeah, it's too bad. And and but the one thing that I think that he can he's big. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's got, he's got padding on him. He can, he can handle a little bit of uh, a little bit of being knocked around. Um, you know, when, when he gets back into the pocket and, uh, and the offensive lineman, you know, might have a breakdown or something like that. Uh, he might break out of that pass rush, uh, you know, that tackle attempt. Uh, and he's done so many, you know, many times uh, he can escape the pocket. Uh, extend plays and, and do these things. And I actually think that when you go into the shotgun and, and ask him to, you know, just throw these passes, he gets into more of a rhythm and he's able to start making plays in this manner. You know, and, and I think that that's when you see him at his best, really. When, you, when you're when you not seeing him at his best, 
as when you're dropping back into these, you know, what, what we're kind of describing as the methodical offense, the timing based offense, um, where, where you really have to get uh, great execution and, and he's not necessarily executing. I think that he probably is a little bit better at more of that playground approach. Um, but, uh, but unfortunately, I mean, the, the whole thing is just fucked. I'm sorry. Yeah. By the way, Jalen Phillips, nice game. He had a sack taken away today by the, by the NFL stat keeper. So he's officially has half a sack and six pressures. So he had a, he had a decent game. He had the bogus, uh, 15 yard penalty called yeah, against and him. a face mask penalty. That was not right. So yeah. And that was a pretty big penalty. It turned into a touchdown instead of a, a field goal sure. attempt. So Maybe it would have given them another opportunity to be, maybe throw into the end zone at the end of the game, but who knows? Extremely disappointing, and there's no, there's no, there's no way to, you know, you can't put a a, a silk a silk dress on this pig. This was absolutely disgusting, and absolutely awful display. The good news is, though, in all seriousness, the good news is that we can flush this turd and turn to next week where we face the greatest quarterback of all time and the Super Bowl champions. In, yes, in, their, in their place. In, the, in their place. And hey, I will uh, be there for that, by the way. I, uh, I'm, I'm going to be uh, – I'm credentialed for it and, uh, and awesome. we'll be able to watch that uh, debacle. And, and I, will be in, I will be credentialed and there for practice in London the following week and for the game against Jacksonville. So we will be on nice. the Two weeks in a row. We've got we've got we've got representation. Nice. By the way, I watched that I watched that entire New England uh Patriots Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh you know showdown game. And it was in a driving rainstorm. First of all, I don't know how the hell Tom Brady is still so good in driving rainstorm, but he is. Okay. And they seem to have a plan. The Patriots had a plan with Mac Jones to not throw the ball past five yards, but God damn it, did they execute and but God damn it, did he make it work? Like that was good football on their part. We can't do that though. You know, yeah, we, you well, know, they we are at their execution. You know, they have good execution. They have yeah. solid coaching and, we are the Steve Belichick face of, uh, of <laughs> They have a disciplined approach. Here's the thing. Uh, they, they have a disciplined approach to offense, and they stick to it. They know who they are. We try to be aggressive, and then our quarterback decides, you know what, I'm just going to check down all game. And if we decided to check down all game, then here come the mistakes because we can't sustain anything. They're just you know, well past four or five plays. They're just yeah, they're well coached. coached. They always have been. They're just, just well coached. Yeah, you could just tell. You could just tell. That's a uh, you know. You could just tell. As soon as that game started, I was like, man, I'm hoping that Brady's going to hang forty on them, but was not going to happen. They were going to have a good plan for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they were going to fight them. And that's the exactly thing is, what they did. The thing is, as well, all the emotion, all the everything that Brady went through yesterday, which he patently did. You know, you could tell that that just meant so much to him. That you know, you could see the players after the. You could see the players after the game and Matthew Slayers and the Devin McCourties coming and spending time with them, all the coaches, all the assistants, all, the, all of those guys. But then Belichick going into the Buccaneers locker room and I, I urge people who haven't read Peter King because some great reporting on what happened post-game last night. But all the emotion, all the everything that he must have gone through, squeaks over the line, didn't play very well. He didn't play very well. Um, next week, though, <laughs> I mean... If somebody's got it coming, it's going to be the Miami Dolphins. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you know. Do you think he? Do you think he tees off? Do you think they tee off, or do you think they? I think sort of I think go they, through a little bit of a hangover from all those emotions because sometimes you go through all those yeah, emotions maybe. and it's like I think Brady you know, goes off next week, bottom out um, afterwards. It it could be. I could see it. it could you be. know, I could actually see it. I could actually see Miami having some offensive. I said this on Twitter, having some offensive ex- success simply because this is a scheduled loss and they know they have, they, they have to know at this point, And they probably did know that when they put Tua on IR and they chose to put them on IR mm-hmm. um, that this is a scheduled loss. They have really no hope of winning this game. You notice that Will Fuller, he's definitely not going to play. Um, but there's, there's a little bit of gray area about whether he can play with that, that finger or not uh, maybe a little bit sooner than some people might think. Um, Tua was put on IR so that he couldn't beg to come back for this game. Uh, you know, I, I think that this is a scheduled loss. So I think they're just going to throw caution to the wind, right? And and when they throw caution to the wind, seems like that it actually benefits them. 
Yeah, and, and what's, uh, what's weird about so as far as their history against Tom Brady, Tom Brady's had some of his worst moments against a Dolphin defense, also some of his best. So, mm, you yeah. know, it's it's 50-50 there. You know Tom Brady's actually only been shut out once, right, in his career, and it was by Miami. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can, you know, it, I can safely guarantee he won't be shut out for a second. Yeah, time. I, was, I, was say. <laughs> I mean, you know, to be fair, I'm sure that this defensive staff, I mean, knows who knows who knows him better than yeah. um, than this defensive staff. But I, I just, you know, I think that it's sort of a, it might be a sort of a self fulfilling prophecy because you know I doubt Byron Jones, for example, is going to push it to try and play in this game. Um, you know, if they if they know that they have a scheduled loss, there are some things that they do to try and like, you know, maybe get healthy and, you know, for the games that'll matter. And uh, and that could I mean, this is a loss. Let, let's be honest. This is a loss. Um, yeah, no, it's it a schedule. It it's an surprise absolute, me. It's absolutely a scheduled loss. But I yeah. remember I shook my fist at them last week, expecting them to beat the, the Colts, that this was a mm-hmm. very important game for them. I think mm. it's also very important that they fight the Bucks and that they play hard as hell and that the game is not a walkover. I think it's extremely well, and, and important. If there's something to take advantage of the team's of the mental health it's... and for the perception of Brian Flores as a coach. I but think. if there's something to take advantage of the Bucks, it's the secondary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the you know, that's that's the thing. That's that's what everybody I mean, it's not us, that's what everybody's talking about. Um and so you're like, well, if if you're ever going to do it, this is probably the game to just, you know, say, fuck it. Right. And, um, and we'll see if they actually do that. Um, you know, I keep thinking that they're going to, and every week I'm disappointed. So, mm-hmm. you know, disappointment, I'm ready for it. It's uh Noah, we're not going to next week. Cause if Byron Jones is out, which so sure. So Noah, you get uh, you get Antonio Mike. Brown, Chris Gordon, Antonio Mike Brown, Evans. Mike Evans. <laughs> Good luck, buddy. Yeah. Although Godwin. these although these guys decided, you know, Nick Needham has made uh, three PBUs so far in this game against the Colts. So he's a good player. Justin Coleman to play out there. <laughs> he's a good player, Nick Needham, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but they I were, think they were I think forced. That's who they were play. forced. They were forced to have Justin Coleman out there because Byron Jones came out. Yeah. And and Noah was was inactive. You know, he wasn't mm-hmm. dressed for the game. So they didn't really, I mean, Nick Needham played basically the whole game, I think. Um, so I'm, I'm not, of all the things that I'm going to criticize this time in this game, and I have criticized the Justin Coleman over Nick Needham decisions in the past. Um, I'm not tempted to go there this time because I think that they, you know, did essentially what they had to do. Mm. And uh, as far as the the snap counts, uh, the, there's three guys that they they seem to really love that have like almost perfect snap counts: Jason McCourty, Xavier Howard, Jerome Baker. Yeah, those are the only guys that on this team that have like almost perfect snap counts, playing almost 100 percent of the snaps. Of course, except you know Jacoby Brissett, which is part of the problem. Oh well, well this wasn't. I wouldn't call it therapeutic. It was. It was like taking a shit. Oh. Uh. Speak for yourself, buddy. I don't know. Sometimes I feel really good about after taking a shit, and uh, and and this this didn't feel this didn't feel good. (laughs) (laughs) No, this was this was an awful display on Sunday. One of the worst losses. Look, okay, you you want to call me old? Go ahead. This is one of those moments where being old actually benefits me. This is one of the worst losses in the history of this franchise. This past Sunday. Do they recover? We'll talk about it on Wednesday. We know what we're picking. Okay. It's probably going to be across the board. Do they recover? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've seen crazier things. I'm not sure. This this team, this this team was (laughs) 0 7 and hopeless and did go finish 5 4. They're going to have to recover. They started last year. Didn't they start last year like one and four or something like that? Yeah. One and three. They started last year. One and three. (laughs) And then heading over to San Francisco in a game that absolutely nobody thought they could possibly win, you know, and and then they they pulled it out. So I think I'd be less surprised if monkeys flew out of my arsehole. (laughs) I wouldn't, I wouldn't be terribly surprised that knowing, knowing about your personal life. Well, it's very true. It's very true. But we will talk about that impending debacle on Wednesday. Even more pressure gets piled on to Brian Flores because, in my opinion, 
He's required to have a team that shows some fight and not no quit. And I don't think I think he's required to compete on Sunday. They get blown out. We you got to start questioning the whole fucking thing. That's it. There is no more. We will talk to you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.